welcome to the Better Being Podcast with Greg Stark and Ali Orr. This is a podcast that dives into the four pillars of performance, movement, mindset, nutrition, and mental health. We speak with experts, find real-life case studies and helpful anecdotes, and we do our best to learn more about optimizing human performance. Hey guys, I am super excited today to chat to Benson Solo, who is uh, pretty much a gun in this space. He's been doing a lot of different projects, he's been involved with lots of different companies over time, and I really wanted to talk to him today about diversity and inclusion in the workplace. Firstly, before we get stuck into anything, Benson, I'd love for you to intro yourself a little bit and give a little bit of background as to what you're up to now, projects you're working on, and sort of like how you arrived here. Yeah, sure. No, thanks so much for having me. Um, yeah, it's it's been quite an interesting journey. So uh, growing up in Tamworth, I actually started working in a bank when I was 15 years old um, as part of a, a traineeship program. And, uh, and then over the years, I spent about seven years in the bank working as a bank teller where I started um, and then finally finishing as a university dropout, but as a business analyst at the age of 22 before stepping into the role of um, the Australian Youth Representative to the United Nations. And uh, that was uh, the role that kind of really set up my kind of my, my, my more recent career um, because it really exposed me to policy at an international level, but then also how you translate that policy um, and, and approaches at a more domestic level. And uh, one of the areas that I was quite interested in was uh, obviously there was the, um, the work around the Sustainable Development Goals and uh, key elements around that was around gender equality, but also more broadly kind of inclusion and diversity um, in society. And, uh, and so coming back to Australia, um, my, my last you know, many years have been really focused on how to create workforces that are more inclusive, um, that are able to break down barriers and, and be able to connect people. Because um, I think, you know, whilst we always talk about the impact that companies can make in, in society, um, behind every company and whatever what drives companies are actually people um and so for me the goal is how do you attract the right people to your companies wow that's awesome yeah super powerful message too um that companies really are run by the people i like that so in line with that what do you think are the biggest challenges that workplaces have regarding diversity and inclusion like what what are the really big driving factors what do they need to change yeah um i'm often brought into to organizations to, and companies to kind of speak about, you know, how to become a more inclusive, um, you know, workplace. And I find we often get caught up in, in you know, the just that kind of the, this really high level, let's be a more diverse workforce or how can we be more inclusive? Um, but ultimately it's around how do we actually bring people together that and value people's perspectives and experiences and backgrounds and, and kind of value the idea that, um, you know, from difference and from healthy tensions and from, you know, different perspectives and experiences, we can actually get to a better outcome. And so often that approach around, you know, we want to strive to be a more inclusive workforce and you kind of put it up on the wall like with the rest of the values, um, it actually loses its meaning because the question that companies should be asking themselves when they are thinking about being more inclusive is like, for what purpose? And so is it to say that we're a more diverse organization or is it actually to be able to value the diversity and difference in perspective to actually drive our organization into the future and I think there's often a hurdle that that a lot of these companies fall down because they don't really interrogate that that element of for what purpose 
and uh, and you know it is great that you know organizations in you know, 2021 or over 2020 you know need to and, and, and value difference and then when I say difference of perspective and experience um, but value diversity and, and, and that next element around inclusion um, and I think that's really important because we need to be striving for that but there's a deeper level that needs to be understood as to why this is so important for every organization um, moving forward into you know into a world that you know we are looking at how do we engage different um, customer bases or how do we appeal to a broader audience or how do we appeal to a very specific audience is well we need to ensure that our customers see themselves within our within our companies Mm, yeah that's really interesting now who do you think is responsible in companies for creating you know a good culture for diversity and inclusion I think it always starts with the individual um, so regardless if you're you know sitting as a the chair of the board if you're the CEO or executive all the way right through to um, you know the middle managers or, or just entry level roles everyone plays a role and um, when I think of you know, the role that individuals can play um, I think of two motions one stepping in and stepping back and when I think about stepping in that's the the opportunity of advocacy and uh, and, and and really uh, I guess supporting and, and pushing the the message around the importance of inclusion, um, but then stepping back in regards to being able to create space for um, for perspectives and experiences to be able to come to the fore, foreground, and so I think everyone, whatever walk of life and whatever role they play in an organisation, can take those motions stepping in to advocate and stepping back to create space and um and i think if we all did that in our daily lives um then i think it would be it would would see a really great shift within our organizations from everywhere from the values that that drive them right through to how we actually um speak to customers and how do we also value um lived experience when we are talking about a, a customer journey um as well so um i really like that stepping in stepping back approach yeah, I like that too. It's sort of nice and neatly packaged, I guess, an easy way to, for people to understand. Um, I'm just thinking though, like how do, you, how do you find that balance? How do you decide, you know, when is the right time to advocate for someone? Like when is the time to, you know, let them have their voice? How do you know? Yeah, it's, it's an interesting question because it's my, my, my first instance is, is always. You know, we should always be thinking about, you know, so actually I'll flip that because um, when I was thinking about, you know, what are some of the really great um, takeaways that people can put into action, you know, today and tomorrow and, and into the future. Um, one of those actions is to look beyond your bubble. And, uh, and I think that that idea of, you know, we should always be in the position to advocate and support diversity and inclusion and raise it as an issue because we all should be understanding or, or have an element of reflection that we actually exist within our, our own social bubbles, and uh, and we'll never be able to see beyond it unless we actually make a, a concerted effort to say, well, actually, we need to be looking beyond our immediate um, you know, surroundings, our, our friends, our family. We need to be looking at um, and engaging people from different cultures and different experiences um, that that provide different perspectives. And um, and so I think it's it's incumbent on all of us in all walks of life, take it outside of the company into our own lives, um, to be thinking about well, how do we move beyond our bubble. Um, one of the questions that I always like kind of posing um, is whose voice is missing? And uh, and I think that's a really important kind of question to reflect on when we think about, well, you know, who are these institutions 
um, you know, established for, you know, who are we here to serve, um, but then also whose voice is missing because secondary to that is whose perspective is missing and then who are we missing in our own, you know, our, our own insights. Taking time to reflect on, you know, who doesn't have a say, you know, in certain things is probably a really good place to start. And in terms of, I guess, advocating for people and trying to get those voices in the room, how should companies go about that? You know, like what's, is, do you have any good tips for that? Yeah. It, so uh, there's two, two approaches here. Um, and I'll talk about the kind of the practical side in, in a second. Um, but there's the, the, other, the other element as well, which is the, the element of vulnerability. Um, and it's the, the almost being comfortable in not knowing. And uh, and the willingness to be to open yourself up to to insight and advice, but also criticism, as well. And so, um, you know, I think that's a there's a really important uh, understanding that for from companies and, and leaders within these organisations that we need to be a bit vulnerable, and we need to know that we're not the smartest people in the room, and that there are people's voices that uh, are missing, whether it be um, through systems by design um, or indirectly. Um, through through design as well, so we need to be asking that question around whose voice is missing, um, and being vulnerable to, to to realizing that actually we aren't, you know, we don't speak for the large majority or we don't speak for the the minority either. Then on the other side is the really practical side, and um, you know, the one thing that I I think is really important is the idea of bringing people in closer proximity to the world around them, and the way that I think about that is how do you actually support and bring voices into the organization um you know next week um starting from the 8th of november um, a bit later this year obviously because of um covid but is uh, uh is nadoc week um, which obviously supports and celebrates um you know the achievements in history and culture of aboriginal and torres strait islanders um you know these are really great um opportunities to be to be able to bring Indigenous voices into your organisation. Um, you know, we're at Purple Day, being able to bring in LGBTIQ um, voices into your organisation as well, or thought leaders or, um, you know, people, social commentators, um, because it all starts with that a conversation, but it starts with a spark, being able to plant the seed. Um, and I think it's important to be able to bring, bring those voices in. And then from a really, uh, the next kind of practical level in regards to the workforce is to think about well, what are some of those barriers that that all those unconscious biases that that we might hold um, that are actually you know uh, directly or indirectly impacting um, you know the community from actually applying for roles or wanting to work in our organisation um, and and these are the things that we need to overcome through policy change through through systems change within the organisation. Wow, it's really interesting. I guess. Um always trying to advocate to make these things happen and bring people in is is something that companies should always be focusing on is that right like it's just like a never-ending thing they really need to keep pushing it yeah i think it's um yeah it's it's like you know at the moment we're talking about democracy yeah um particularly yeah. with the u.s vote um you know the um obama said that you know we need to be anxious defenders or anxious guardians of democracy uh, he said it a few years back, and and the reason being is that, um, you know, the 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 structure and the integrity of, of of a democratic system can be lost in a generation. It can be lost in a you know in a in a season of, of voting, and um and that's why we need to defend it. And so when I flip that and put it into organisations in regards to um you know we've got 
research coming from the Diversity Council of, of Australia that you know companies with a diverse workforce are five times more likely to innovate. Um, people from diverse backgrounds are, are three times more likely to to work harder within within the organisation, but more collaboratively. And I say harder, more collaboratively, um, and, uh, and and three times more likely to provide really excellent customer service, um, particularly back to their communities. And so we're not only defending the importance of um, of diversity and inclusion as a concept within organisations, but we're also at the bottom line defending our ability as, as an organisation to continue to grow, to scale and to, to, um, to be sustainable as well. So this is why it needs to be a constant conversation of why we need to value difference of perspective and difference of opinion um, and, and difference of uh, experience because it all adds back to the actual overall um, sustainability of, of your organisation. Yeah, when you put it like that, it seems like a no-brainer. You know, why wouldn't you be pushing the envelope on this? Why wouldn't you be trying to make your workplace more diverse? Absolutely. My next question is, are there companies that you know that are doing this really well? Yeah. Um, so a while back, I so I started within the bank a long time ago um, as, a, yeah, as a trainee. But um, during my time, the seven years that I was at ANZ, um, by the time I left, I was the third person to come through on this traineeship program. By the time I left, there was over 500 uh, Indigenous young people from across Australia that were working in branches across, you know, ANZ branches across Australia. Um, you know, there was a really strong focus on valuing diversity in the workforce um, and, uh, you know, from, from all the intersections. And, um, you know, I think what I what I did see um, when during my time at ANZ was a was an organisation that really did value um, the you know, uh, you know the multiple communities that we have across Australia, um, and the the difference of perspective and opinion and approach and just the value that um, you know those perspectives bring to an organisation. Um, I felt they did a significant and important role. The other side of that as well was also um, when I worked in microfinance. I worked for a wonderful organisation called Good Shepherd Microfinance, and um, and, and through the research of, of doing the micro loans um, across Australia um, and, and low income and um, yeah, and low interest in, uh, loans, um, there was a, a large proportion of, of older women that were um, that were actually seeking loans that were hitting financial hardship, um, and and so what we did really well as an organisation was actually reflect our own customers in the workforce. As well, so we had a, a, a lot of people that were working with the, the low interest and no interest loans um, were actually uh, older women um, because of the the experience, the idea of being able to see yourself in the organisation. Um, that was really important um, for for our clients. It, it established trust, um, it established safety, um, and and these were two things, particularly dealing with money. Um, and particularly people that are in vulnerable situations, um, that, that trust um, and reliability and accountability was something that was really valued. Um, and, uh, but there's, you know, organisations, when we think about diversity and inclusion, you know, it kind of rolls off the tongue very easily these days. Um, and it's because it has been such a topic of focus for organisations for many years. And there's two elements that are really driving that. One is the importance of reflecting our customers um, and reflecting society. But then on the other side, as I was saying before, in regards to um, the bottom line, we, we also know that being um, you know, a reflection, 
of um, of the community and the people that you serve, um, you know, it also helps in in driving and sustaining your business. Yeah, and that makes sense when you put it so simply like that. But it seems so hard to you know when when you look at corporations, it's it's generally not the case. They don't usually reflect the type of customers they serve. And that's that's one of the big challenges. Um, and and, and what we have seen, particularly across um, at, at board levels and, and the executive levels, um, is a, a, a is a lack of diversity, um, lack of diversity. And um, you know, and, and this is a this is why leadership programs um, are, are really important. So developing um, young executives that are coming through, having that lens of diversity and inclusion. And um, uh, when when we are looking at the structure and the makeup of our boards. When we are thinking about who's leading our companies and, and organisations um, and who is uh, the decision maker, um, this is why it's really important to put the lens of diversity um, across across these particular um, levels of, of organisations um, because it does have a flow, flow on and flow down um, effect. But this is where it comes back to people as well and as individuals that are potentially shareholders in a lot of these organisations, you know, being a shareholder also enables you to have a voice um, in in decisions making, uh, decisions at, um, each year on uh, on directing where the board should go and what they should prioritize. And this is where I'm a, a big supporter of actually holding organisations accountable um, as a shareholder. Um, and whether it might be you know a really strong focus around our super superannuation and and looking down. Um, investing into renewables or or thinking about transition energies for the future, um, we've seen in in recent times, um, you know, shareholders voting in blocks to be able to shift the direction and priorities of an organisation. And I think we can absolutely do the same around diversity and inclusion, um, but more broadly around shaping the type of organisations that we want leading the future for Australia. Um, I'm going to take a little bit of a sidestep here because something I'm really interested in, um, you know, we're seeing corporations include well-being as part of, you know, diversity and inclusion and the people who are in charge of these programs are often also in charge of well-being and stuff like that. Um, how do you think, you know, health and well-being relates to diversity and inclusion and do you feel like these things should be, um, you know, married together? That's a really good question. Um it's interesting. The last organisation that I was at, um, we shifted to being a well-being organisation or well-being company, and uh, and and that that had obviously not obviously, but the, it was a health and um, you know, health insurance and, and and other parts. I, I worked in the wealth and investment side of the business, um, but shifted to being a, a known as a, a well-being company. And there's two things that are quite interesting for me at that time. Um, knowing that that kind of shift happened. Um, at that time, there was a lot of organizations that were wanting to be seen as a well-being company. And so it was really what was what, what is quite topical. And so that idea of well-being almost lost a bit of well, what does that really mean um, in somebody's life um, and became more of a, a phrase or a catchphrase or um, a signboard um, to, to appeal. To, to consumers and to, to customers, so that was that was one element that I thought was a bit a bit interesting. Um, and then the other side was what was being said outwardly wasn't necessarily being reflected internally in regards to um, the the 
um, the, the workforce more broadly. So how we valued the the whole workforce from um, from care workers all the way through to to senior executives um, working in head office. And uh, and so there was the, the the concern for me was when we go down that path of, of leading with you know well you know well known terms around kind of well being but not really defining what well-being means for an individual. It can simply be a, a meaningless kind of slogan, and that's a, that's a big concern. Um, and, uh, and then on the other side of that is, uh, is then, well, how do we actually live as, a, as an organisation, a, a well-being organisation, and then how do we reflect that in our own policies and our own practices and, and how we um, engage our companies uh, and how we engage our, our employees? So... The yeah, the I'm a bit. It's it's challenging to kind of put the the kind of well-being and kind of the diversity inclusion piece together. The the only thing that I think where, where the great crossover is um, is the ability to bring your whole self to work, and the ability to bring your whole self re- to work requires a, a an environment that is inclusive and supportive. Um, but then also values, you know, your own experiences and your own approaches and your own culture and and, uh, and everything that kind of defines you, as well. And so you can actually find the centerpiece of of well being and then um, and then diversity and inclusion in a place that is very much around connection, respect, and uh, and understanding. Yeah. Awesome. Um, I just wanted to take another little step. I know that you're a new father. Congratulations, by the way. Thank you. Um, and I'm sure that, um, you know, your culture and the history of your people and everything is really important to you. And I was just interested in, um, you know, when you're parenting, you know, how do you bring all that culture and, you know, impact your daughter in a way that teaches her about your culture and where she comes from? So, um, so for listeners, um, my background on my mum's side, I'm connected to four Aboriginal nations on um, the western border of, uh, of, of Victoria and South Australia. Um, so we're on that border. Um, so starting around Swan Hill, which is Wemba Wemba, and then travelling south, Jadawa Jali, Wiragai, and Goodditchmara. Um, but grew up in Tamworth, which is Gomorroy country. But then on my father's side, uh, he's from New Island province in Papua New Guinea. So growing up, we had really strong mix of, of culture, but then also faith and my father being a minister. And um, and not growing up on my own country, um, we there was that element of not necessarily having that strong connection um, back to back to community. However, growing up in Tamworth, um, you know, we were surrounded by really wonderful um, elders. And these elders were, um, you know, the cornerstones in setting up the, the Aboriginal legal services and the medical services and, and Vera Lee, which is the, the child care services down in um in Coldow over in, in Tamworth, if you know the area. And um and you know for for a really long time it was you know, they played a really significant role in um you know, in, in bringing us up. And from there from from my experiences there it was around, you know, it was very much around the storytelling language played a role, um, you know, the, the connection community and not having our families from there or not having my family from Tamworth area, being able to connect in with, um, with you know, the, the large Aboriginal families was really powerful and really strong. Um, but then on my father's side as well, we were fortunate to go up to Papua New Guinea when we were quite young um, and over the last few years, the last decade, really been able to spend a bit more time there. Um, he comes from a very remote village. It's a very still um, traditional um, and for me, 
the, the element of, of faith is a really important foundation um, stone in, in my life, but then also that element of strength in culture. Because ultimately, when I think about culture, it's also about identity as well. And, um, and so for me, you know, I know where I come from. I know where my family comes from. I know our family line, our family history and stories. Um, and for me, that all plays an important role in who I am today. And I like the idea that we're the sum total of our experiences um, that have come before us. And so ultimately we kind of carry you know, our own parents' journeys. We carry our, you know, our, our cultural journeys within of us, um, but also we're in a position that we can actually, um, you know, define uh, who we are for ourselves in, in our own lives. And I think that's a really important message um, when I connect and work with a, a lot of young Indigenous kids, that idea that we're not defined by our situation, that we can take all the good stuff around culture um, you know, and our experiences and um, being able to forge you know, our, our path forward. And I think that's the importance of culture and, and mixed with identity um, is that you, know, you, you also are independent in that as well, that it doesn't have to define you, but it is an important element in, in who you are. Yeah, that's really cool. I really like that explanation. And then I guess, all right, I have a bit of a heavy question for you um, that I'll throw at you. But, you know, you've achieved a lot in your life, in your pretty short life. And what do you want your legacy to be? You know, like throughout your life, you're, you're doing crazy impactful things. You know, what do you want to leave? Yeah, that's a, thank you. Um, yeah, it's, it's an interesting idea. Um, so there's a quote by Pericles um, and, and he said, um, what we leave behind is not what's carved into stone monuments, but what's woven in the hearts of others. And um, and so I think about that element, and then I kind of throw another quote into into the mix around Gandhi. And he said, um, from Gandhi, and he said, the best way to find yourself is to lose yourself in the service of others. And so we've got two concepts there. One is the 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 mark that we leave on each other by the interactions that we have, the the relationships that we form, and the bonds that we that we make. Um, and then the other side there is also around service. So it's also what we do in the world around us. And so, you know, when I when I kind of think of a, a legacy, um, you know, I want it to be a legacy of a person who you know was um, you know drew strength from building relationships and, and connecting, um, but then also a legacy of someone who got stuff done, someone who got stuff done for the betterment of of society and, and communities, um, and you know. I'm, I'm very fortunate to, to move into in, in different circles in regards to impact at a local level, but also an international level and taking up the role in our 2021 as the first Indigenous Consul General to the US um, and looking at our trade and investment relationships over in the US. Um, you know, I'm, I'm very fortunate to be able to think about the, those global connections, but then also when you move out of the kind of the high level of you know, impact and 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 change and, and and those kind of large topics, and then actually being able to connect it at a, at a human to human level, um, you know, I think there's that's where the magic really happens. And so, I don't know. I was thinking about this idea of I got posed a question around legacy as well, and um, and the way that I answered that was, you know, I, I hope people kind of go, oh, yeah, he was a nice guy, he did some cool stuff, and um, yeah, and that's kind of it. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I think you've done some cool stuff and you're a pretty nice guy, so you've got that covered. I mean, everything else is just easy from here, right? Yeah, exactly. It's smooth sailing. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, I just wanted to say too, I mean, with the election and everything happening, um, for listeners, um, we're recording this, um, you know, as the election is sort of being counted still. Um, you know, good luck next year as you go over there and I um, I hope that things are pretty chill. Um, yeah, no, thanks. It's, um, it's it, I'll be honest, it has been quite a nervous last few days. So right now, just in the context of where the election's at, is that um, Pennsylvania is still sitting at about 30,000 um, votes um, between uh, Trump and um, Biden. And Biden needs Pennsylvania or one other state to be able to tick over the 270 um, to be able to um, win the election. Um, the way that I also I think about this is, you know, governments and countries aren't run by one person. And um, so regardless who, who you know, wins the election and, and leads a, 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 the US forward, um, and, and the reason why I've put a lot of thought in this is because I obviously will be based um, in, in the US, in, in Houston, Texas, and, um, and that you know, these people or, or these leaders are surrounded um, by the gears of government, um, by you know, incredible advisors and you know, are in incomprehensible kind of um, you know, daily situations as well. And so we kind of have to trust that if you're in that position, um, that a certain level of maturity and insight and, um, and even vulnerability comes when, when asking for, for help and advice and insight. So for me, I'm, regardless of the, the outcome of the, the election, I know moving forward, you know, we're still going to have you know, stable elections. We're going to still going to have stable countries and, and the relationship between the Australia and US is still going to be strong. Um, which is is critical for, I guess, world and global security. Yeah, I like that. Positive outlook no matter what. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, just quickly before we wrap this up, um, I always do a quick fire round of five questions. Yeah. Um, pretty chill, whatever comes to your mind, all right? First question, if you could change someone's mind about something, what would it be? That skateboarding is one of the greatest skills and ways of viewing the world that anyone could ever do. So any skateboarder that I see, I'm like, that that kid's going to be all right. <laughs> and, and I'm assuming you skateboard. I do. I, yeah. Well, not anymore. My ankles are too bad, but only because it's persistence, it's grit. It's like getting knocked down and getting back up. It's, it's all these elements that, that, that you, the, the life lessons in even learning how to kickflip. <laughs> All right. It's a little bit left field, but I'll take it. <laughs> uh, what are you excited about right now? Um, you know, in relation to diversity inclusion or just in general? Um, I, I'm, I'm really, in, regard, in regards to diversity inclusion, I'm really um, excited about this, this shifting notion of, of power and voice and representation. And, um, <clears throat> and what we're going to see in the next few years is, is, is young people really stepping up in their own voices and, and in their own power. Um, and, and really saying what what they need to be able to thrive and, and, and survive in the world. Um, and that, for me, is really exciting. Yeah, that's awesome. And question number three, do you have a good book or some type of podcast or resource that you really love or that you'd recommend people read? Uh, I, I always recommend, can I give you three books? Yeah, yeah go for it. Okay, sweet. <laughs> so, sorry, I really love these books. These are my three all-time favorites. No, no, do you think? Um, so... The f- they're all economic kind of leaning. Um, so the first one is uh, 
uh, economic dignity. Um, and I've just had a blank on, on the on the authors. Actually, I probably won't be able to give you the author of all three people, but um, economic dignity. And essentially, he was a, um, a economic advisor to the the Clinton and Obama um, administrations. And essentially, was saying um, economic models shouldn't exist just to just to exist and, and and perpetuate the economic system. They should exist with a with an end goal. And he's proposing the end goal should be dignity for all humans. Um, and it goes on to define that. So I think it's important. Another one is called Donut Economics. And essentially, um, her name's Keith Rothworth, I believe, um, was saying that the way that we measure value in, in the world based on kind of GDP or gross domestic product, product um, really misses some really important elements around how societies are thriving, where's the education level and the health and well-being of people. So she actually proposed a new economic model um, of actually being able to measure society and also, you know, the ecological, um, you know, sustainability of, of, of the world. And I thought that's really powerful. And then the third book uh, is called The Value of Everything. And it's written by um, Mariana Musicato, who's, a, who's an economist. And in, in short, she takes this idea of a, the, the moonshot approach. So she says there's some really terrible, complex problems that exist in the world. And she said, we need to apply a, a problem-solving mindset to them of really defining that challenge and then bringing the right people in to be able to, f- to solve those these global wicked problems, whether it be climate change or, you know, the, wh- whatever, you know, issues are really impacting at a local level, but also at a global and international level. And so those three books, I think, read, read together, um, provide a really nice approach to or even frame to, to view the world and impact through awesome yeah i've i don't think i've ever read an economics book in my life but i have added those three to my list so they are, honestly boring on the most part all of them um but then you'll find gems like these three um that will get you really excited about the the way that economists think um but then also you know, the flow of money and resource through the world to be able to affect change. Yeah, that's cool. That's worth it, in my opinion. Yep. <laughs> All right, question number four. Do you have a health hack or tip, um, maybe something you always do or that you wish you'd known earlier, something like that? Yeah, so I, I cycle. Um, so I, I, I recently sold a bike, so I only have one bike at the moment. Um, but I love riding and, and cycling and um, and. I, I was really against it. Like I was like, ah, no. the last bike I owned was like a BMX that my dad bought at Agquip. And um, <laughs> <laughs> now you'll know what Agquip is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, um, and, uh, and so I hadn't had a bike, but, um, but my wife, she, she was always been like, she, she loves riding. And, um, and uh, one day I had a really, she was on my case for a long time since being in Melbourne. She was like, get a bike. You'll really like it. And then I had a really terrible day at work. And so one Friday afternoon, um, I just kind of walked into a bike store and I pointed to a bike and I was like, that one, can you just, I'll take that bike, please. Because I, I knew I was like in such a funk in my like mood and, and mind. I was like, I needed to shift something on over the weekend if I'm going to turn up to work on Monday. <laughs> and then I realized that I'd forgotten how to ride the bike. And so I had to walk at home from the bike store because I was so nervous. But yeah, um, cycling. Um, and when I find when I'm in most flow is um, if when I'm riding, the weather's beautiful um, and I find that I'm actually eating healthier. Plus, you know, I don't drink, I don't smoke and, and all that jazz. But 
uh, cool. that's kind of beside the point cycling is the yeah. way to do it but that's really interesting because I um just this past week signed up for my first mini triathlon and I actually can't ride a bike <laughs> yeah I have a bike sitting outside and I have to get on it this weekend so do you have any tips for a person who hasn't ridden a bike in 20 years yeah so your butt is gonna hurt a lot (laughs) so highly recommend getting proper you know bib shorts like getting the right right kit um but you know that saying when they say like you know it's just like riding a bike put that out of your mind like like go easy on yourself it is difficult and the the most challenging thing you know as an adult riding a bike again is actually confidence and uh and so if you can find a place that you can kind of get comfortable and confident again where you're just riding and then kind of mix in the roads and then mix in cars and people um but hopefully it's all closed roads for you oh awesome thanks yeah (laughs) i think um people people keep telling me about the sore bum thing so i'm definitely gonna have to get a pair of shorts (laughs) yeah yeah highly recommend them but make sure you get ones that um that you can actually swim in if you're doing a triathlon because you don't want yeah. you know, being weighed down <laughs> when you go through the water because <laughs> yeah. it is literally just a sponge. <laughs> good, good tip. Yeah. All right, last question. Somebody alive that you would love to have a conversation with and invite them to dinner and you can ask them anything you want and who would it be and why? Oh, someone alive. Um. The person that I would love to chat to who is alive, I always think everyone asks me, like I've been asked this question about dead people. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I'm like, easy. I'll just rattle them off because there's no kind of time frame. Um, I think the the person who I'd love to sit down and have dinner with and have a good chat with um, would be, there's two. One would be Obama. Um, I'm just so interested in the changes that he's seen since 2008 when he was elected to where we are today. Um, and even that debate around we wouldn't have a Trump without a, an Obama. And I'd be interested in in that kind of, that idea. Um, and then the other person would actually be Arnold Schwarzenegger. Cool. <laughs> it sounds really random, but like I've you know, read his, um, his autobiography um, total recall um you know watched a few things and you know know him as an actor and stuff like that but what kind of person i want to understand his mindset that that moves from another country um speaks a different language and then in 33 years becomes the governor of the largest state in the u.s like, Crazy. like and, and and was already a millionaire before uh he went into acting um, because of the work that he was doing as um, you know a bodybuilder and, and selling supplements and a whole range of things, like I want to get an insight into his mindset, and um, I think he would be fascinating. I don't know what we would eat. I don't know what he eats. <laughs> I think <laughs> I, he eats a lot high of protein. <laughs> yeah, <right? laughs> no, he's like purely protein shakes for dinner. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Love that. Actually, now you say that, I think he would be a great person to have a conversation with because he seems really witty, but also super knowledgeable and so much history there. It'd be awesome. Absolutely. Yeah. Unbelievable. Yeah. All right, Vincent, thank you so much for having a chat to me. I know you're a super busy dude. You've got heaps of things to do and you didn't have to spend time talking to me today, but I appreciate it so much. No worries. No, it's been fun. I'm sorry I kind of waffled on like so much, but um, hopefully there's some elements in there that you like. Yeah, no, it's all good. I love it. Thanks so much. No worries. Thanks for listening to the Better Being Podcast. 
If you want to learn more, follow us on social media at betterbeingpt on Instagram and as betterbeing on LinkedIn and Facebook. If you like what you heard, drop us a review. And until next time, stay well.